and welcome to the final episode of season two of the Growth Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Appel. Excited to be joined by uh, Nick Smirelli today. Nick is the CEO of Giddelnet, a IT consultancy firm with locations in St. Louis, Indianapolis, and Denver. Nick, welcome. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, so we will absolutely get more into talking about you and your company and what you do later, but uh, not to bury the lead. Giddelnet is a lot of things, but three things that kind of immediately come to mind for me based on our conversations and just kind of following you from a distance is I think a lot of people could say three things about Goodellnet. One, you're rapidly growing. So the market clearly is buying what you're selling. Two, you were named the best place to work in the state of Indiana. So clearly your employees are buying what you're selling. And third, and I don't think this is coincidental, you also are a certified B Corp. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Awesome. Well, let's let's start there. So I know the term B Corp probably is familiar to some people, but probably sounds foreign to others. Could you maybe start by just describing exactly what that is? Sure. So for us, the B Corp was probably a three or four year journey before we actually found the certification. And and I'll kind of clarify really quick. There's it, it, The world has made this a lot more confusing than it needed to be. So Within the state of Indiana, you can register yourself as a B Corp, which means that you're, you know, you are a registered, you know, agent or a social impact organization. What does that get you? Very little outside, truly, of of kind of a marketing opportunity. Paired with, in my opinion, and this is one man's opinion, not not all, but there's a there's an organization called B Lab, and it's one of those things where if you haven't heard about it yet. If you go on to bcorporation.net, I believe is the, the thing, or just Google B Labs, you'll see this logo everywhere. You'll see it on Patagonia. You'll see it on a lot of your kind of organic foods. You'll see it on a lot of clothing lines. Athleta is a big one, or Tom Shoes, or just some of the kind of well-known brands that associate themselves with kind of social and environmental impact. So for us, we also wanted to get that certification because for us, that that to me spoke more clearly to a third party standard that forces us every year to reevaluate how we're running the business and making sure truly that we are kind of demonstrating environmental, social governance, ethics, performance at a, a level that is, I would say, unusual in the market space. So you go through a survey process, you self-score, you decide that, hey, our score is high enough to meet their standards, and then a third party verifies all of your scores. And essentially what it is, is just a designation that from a performance, from an accountability, from a transparency, from, again, governance and ethics, and even just how we how we manage our carbon footprint to how my salary relates back to the lowest person's salary in the organization, how we you know look at DEI, et cetera. It's all evaluated, put together in a big pool and said, does this organization on the whole meet the, the B Corp movement? So we did secure that in 2020, a big part of who we wanted to be you know, that's three or four months after the start of the pandemic is we really wanted to kind of double down on, we are this organization when things are good and easy. And then when things are hard, we're still the same organization. So B Corp, you know, certainly had a, um, how do I, how do I rally the team around who we are and kind of create a little bit more clarity around the identity instead of just saying, Hey, we want to be a really good company, but it's, so we want to be a good company held to this standard. And that's what B Corp serves for us. And uh, I did look as you were talking, we'll put it in the short show notes, but bcorporation.net is the accurate uh, website that? for that was... D-Labs off the top of your head. No... Yeah, so, that I... was a brain cell that fired this morning. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to ask you now a stupid question that I know the answer to, but for, again, those who may be hearing B Corp for the first time, 
might be new to them. When you talk about using business as a force for good, does that mean you can't make money as a company? No, it's a, it is a good question. And no, of course not. The drive for profit, you know, for me has kind of a lot of a lot of back end to that. But no, we are a for profit organization. We recognize uh, kind of a few key things. But for us, just from a very basic fundamental perspective is something has to fund our growth. So at the end of the day, that is done through creating excess cash year over year, which allows us to fund growth. It allows us to fund these programs. And as we grow, our belief is very much so that not only in what we do and serve to our clients as kind of just our business model, which is you know, again providing IT support, is as we get bigger, the obligation to give back is bigger. So does that mean we're not you know, tackling a profit motive? Of course not. You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we um, we as business leaders do have that. But I would say our profit targets are less than I would say the market. You know, for us, we. We want a certain percentage of our profits to go back to the communities we serve. This year, that's a half million dollars. You know, so for us, margins are already thin, and you know the the services space as it stands, and then giving back another half million dollars is a huge, I would say, endeavor. So, you know, for us, we we have to maintain on strong business fundamentals and managing the business correctly. But at the but but truly, what we want to do is saying, as our scale grows, so does our impact. Great. Well, I want to get back to both how you, the internal journey for that, as well as kind of how the marketplace has received it. But I'd like to start maybe a little bit with talent. I mean, the, you know, the IT consulting world is, in, it's incredibly competitive for talent in general, right? And these last couple of years has only accelerated that competition for talent. And, you know, typically <laughs> for those listeners who aren't seeing the audio, Nick did make a face that felt like he was joking, <laughs> but typically competition takes a form of, of salary, right? And as a B Corp, there probably is a threshold with which you have to walk away. I guess the flip side to that though, is since you are a B Corp, is there any net advantage for you in recruiting talent to join GoodellNet, knowing that it's more than just, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna work with these clients, I'm gonna bill X number of hours, and then I'm gonna move on to the next one. Yeah, and that really truly is, is a great question. And I'll, I'll take a step back, but then I'll, I'll get to that. You know, At the end of the day, what our team does is really hard, especially I would say the front end team. You know, what we we do is we do both IT support and we do IT you know consulting and advisory. And not to take away from consulting and advisory, but the, the support side of things, you walk in that day and you're working with somebody who's trying to do the best at their job and something isn't working. So they're not their best self. And your job is to take them from a, a stressful situation to a much more happy situation. And then rinse and repeat. So for us, I think the B Corp also serves. Why am I doing this? You know, the the what I do is IT support, but the why and who is you know a little bit more clear when you have, I would say, this B B Corp backend, and not just this designation, but we just talk about it a lot of, of who we're serving, both as part of the B Corp journey, but also part of of what they do on a day to day basis. But yeah, it's it's it is tough. I would say. You know, you look at the impact to us. If I have to make an estimation, we hired 60 people in 2021. If I had to throw a statistic out that is inaccurate, but probably fairly close, I'd say 50 to 60% of the people cited B Corp as a reason that they wanted to meet with us. We, we did open up an office in Denver, Colorado, and we have four, I think the statistic is four now, maybe five in the entire state of Indiana. Denver proper has 170 B Corps in just this, the, the Denver area very different from a culture perspective. So up, out there, it's almost a table stakes. Out here, it's a differentiator. But 
you know, for us, we want to continue to sing the song of the B Corps movement because we do know it. I can't, you know, at the end of the day, my job is to use capital in the best way possible. And for me, B Corp gives me some accountability to making sure I'm doing that because to your point, salaries are going up, recruiting is harder, but going back to your point around is my business looking for profit is, you know, our, our, the people that are joining the company, they want to work for a good organization, but they want to get paid fairly too. So as a B Corp, it does not allow me to pay less than market. So I have to, to battle both. How do we serve the B Corp space? But then at the end of the day, I, I still have to make sure my, my employees are paying, being paid fairly and can support their, you know, their family and, and personal goals as well. So I want to get back to kind of the journey to B Corp, but I presume this is going to be a quick question, but how have your clients and potential clients received kind of your B Corp certification? From a client perspective, it really depends. I would say on the whole, you know, it's, it's, it's raised the bar a little bit. Our, our, you know, like I said, there's, there's, our motives were pure, but at the end of the day, you know, our hope was, you know, two proposals side by side, one's a B Corp, one's a not, knowing that if you're going to pay, a, you know, I like guess substantial amount of money per month, knowing that a certain percentage is going to happier employees who are giving back, who are held to a higher standard, we hope that people would choose that. I can't tell you, I can't even make up a number if that's affected us from a client perspective. I will say, again, going back to what I think is employees that are inspired by who they do the work for and why they do it. I think it's created a better client experience. And I think indirectly and tangentially, it's, it's, it's helped, I would say, weather the storm of the most interesting technology year that I've ever been a part of, of working remote, coming back to an office, then maybe kind of working hybrid and then coming back and then Omicron hits and everybody sprints back to their homes. I mean, it's been, in, it's been a wild 12 months for my team. And so for us, I think having people that get why they're doing it has helped, I would say, create some more consistency, both for them and for our clients. Well, your, your answer inadvertently touched on uh, one of the things I was going to, to push back on, which is um, maybe some cynics would say that people do B Corps for marketing or gimmicky reasons. And it sounds like your answer was, you know, how your clients or prospective clients receive it really is secondary to the values that you have as an organization and the, the worth that it gives your colleagues in doing the work that they do. Is that fair? That, that's incredibly fair. And I think authenticity, it's, it's like everything that you do as a leader is if you're just saying something for the sake that it, you, you, you know, you read a Harvard Business Review article about it, but you aren't making it part of the, you know, the fabric of who you are as an organization. That's, I mean, my employees are smart and crazy smart. They will see right through me very quick. They will see right through us as an executive team. If we aren't prioritizing and they aren't seeing what is, what are we doing? And yes, we grew last year. So what's, how are we growing in our commitment back to our communities? And if they're not seeing that, then it's me just throwing up a, another you know, tag on a contract that's meaningless. And there's so much meaningless stuff out there. So for us, we never wanted B Corp to be a meaningless part of who we were or something that we just threw out there just to, again, to your point, gimmicky. Um, for us, we always wanted to make it a foundational part of who we are. And frankly, to steal ideas from other people because... You know, for us, we're growing fast. And so for what we like to do is, you know, curate ideas from others. And this just gives us another community with which to, to find interesting uh, programs and processes and tools that impact our business. Great. 
Well, before we get to the lightning round later, I do want to come back to both Gedelna as a company, as well as uh, some of the things that you touched on earlier from a, a diversity, equity, and belonging standpoint. But I want to pivot a little bit now to to you, to Nick, as a leader. Kind of what has what what is your career and professional and personal journey been that led you up to your role as CEO at Gedelna? It's been an interesting ride. I can proudly say I am I am six months from being a mil- in the millennial category. And I have worked for two companies, which I think is pretty unheard of in my age demographic. I started off, actually, I was a sophomore in college and started off working for a company called Ingersoll Rands, which owns an, a company called Hussman, which is you know commercial refrigeration. Started off in an operations role. I was up at 5 a.m. I secured my black belt in Six Sigma as a a kid trying to do his best from a process improvement perspective. Realized that level of detail is just not my skill set. Moved into an HR role and then actually worked with the company in a marketing and then into a sales role. Started off in St. Louis, moved to New York City, moved to Shanghai, moved to Charlotte, moved to Atlanta, and then my wife and I moved to Indy. Along the way, I met my wife, which is a huge part of who we are. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, fast forward eight years to 2010, and I was I was sick of kind of working the uh, the enterprise world. I loved my team. I loved what I was doing, but I was I wanted to you know, bet on myself, see how I would do if my strengths and weaknesses were completely exposed to the world. And there, I took a job with Gadelnet to the two founders. Uh, well, excuse me, the one founder I knew from college, and he brought on another uh, individual that was a friend a few years later. So the three of us made the executive team trio in, in twenty ten. And from there, it was St. Louis based. I traveled 48 of the 52 weeks for years and years and years, opened up an Indianapolis office at six, six or seven years ago. And then we opened up our Denver office, moved from COO to CEO about six years ago, plus or minus. So I moved into, into this seat a bit ago. And I was proud because the Ingersoll Rand experience, you know, while required a lot of moves, you know, I was in an operations role, an HR role, a marketing role, a sales role. So I had a chance to see all aspects of the business. I had a background in psychology and finance. So for me, the business part was where my passion was. Meeting and being and creating a space for people was where my passion was. Technology is grown to be a passion, but it wasn't my passion. I let smart uh, engineers do the technology part. For me, I try to find just the right people and how do we put them together to do cool things. That's my job. I, the tech part is, has never been my forte. So to pick that a little bit, I was going to follow up with how your team would describe you, but your last comment is going to rephrase my question of how do you maintain the respect and motivation of a team that you just said is smarter than you at, at what you do as a company? You know, for me, I, I, I am as open book as you can get when it comes to where my skills are and where they're not. Humility is a skill I learned at Ingersoll Rand, and I was really proud of that, and I'm still learning that. But for me, it's acknowledging where and how I am talented in some places, and then also where fundamentally my gaps are, and then giving people an opportunity to shine in those those spaces where I don't have the skill sets. And I think for me, I was anxious about that. You know, I came in and, and basically immediately had engineers reporting to me. I didn't understand what they did. I remember Joe and Tom, you know, probably wanting to throw a drink at me because they were trying to explain the cloud and virtualization. And I just, you know, it just, it was all foreign to me. And these are obviously very basic technology terms now. But for me, I think where I garnered the respect is creating a leadership team that cared and and wanted to see our people improve. They really wanted to create a great space. 
we're all imperfect and we all champion our imperfections as an opportunity for growth. But, you know, for me, I think the going back to authenticity and being genuine, I think people saw hopefully that in me and saying I was aggressive. I'm very type A. I, I don't think anybody who saw me come in thought, all right, this is going to be, this is going to be an easy ride, or this is going to be a, you know, 2%, 3% growth business. I mean, I think I make it very clear of, I think we're capable of so much. And I think people are capable of so much more than they know. And so I stretch people hard and sometimes too much and we have to back down. But I would say on the whole, you know, I'm, I'm consistent in my approach and allow people the space to do great things. Cause I think sometimes people who run organizations that also have the skill set of the people on the, uh, in their team meddle uh, or, and for me, I can't meddle cause I don't understand what they do. You know, email is a magic thing. You send something and magically it gets someplace else. And so I let people who run our Microsoft team, for example, like they're going to build something really neat because they know more about it than I do. And so giving people space to do that is, is I think how I've managed to get by in 12 years and still not be able to fix a computer myself. <laughs> well, thank you. So I think at this point in the interview, everybody who's been listening can tell that Nick is passionate. You, I'm sure you have more than these passions, but he's clearly passionate about Adelna, about the colleagues he serves, about B Corps. You know, he touched on his family and what he hasn't touched on yet is Nick also is a endurance athlete. And that probably is an insult to Nick. So I guess my question is knowing that you're passionate about all these things and not necessarily in the order that I displayed them, both how do you, how do you balance your time as well as how does pursuing all these passions inform your leadership style? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I would say if there is something that is quickly evolving faster than I could ever imagine is, is the answer to this question. And I'll, I'll kind of give a little bit more context here. I run a podcast called Zero Excuses, and this is not for the sake of shamelessly promoting my podcast, It'll but it was under the pre pretense two years ago where you have no excuses not to do really amazing things. And we bring on guests that are you know, great spouses, great husbands, great wives, great leaders, uh, and doing some big things in their particular fields, whether it's a field of business or field of hobbies, or, you know, they're an authors or they're, you know, they manage content. And it was really championing this efficient lifestyle. And I, and I think over the last two years, I have been much like many affected by is the efficient life of let's pack everything in by minute by minute. Is that the way to go? So if you asked me two years ago, I'd probably give you a long rant about look at me and how many things I can pack in my day. And for me, it's been the last few months has been, am I good enough to say no to this? And do I feel confident enough in my identity that I don't have to be amazing at everything and do everything and be the best at everything? And how do I prioritize correctly? And so prioritization has always been a cornerstone of the zero excuses side of things, but I would say it's probably more and more that I'd say maybe it's not zero excuses. It's have a couple excuses and enjoy your time and relax. And so for me, I think redefining success as a spouse, which is my number one, and then my, my role as a father, which is my number two, and then my role as a leader is number three, and redefining what success looks like. And, and to me, I'll, I'll answer the question in the context of leadership, but it probably plays back nice with family is it doesn't mean I'm doing everything and working the hardest. It's creating more space for myself so people see me spending time with my family and my kids. Um, it's allowing other leaders to rise into bigger roles for stuff that I think I love, or I, you know, I love getting credit for and giving them chances to shine and saying, it's no longer your turn. 
Uh, and that's weird and <laughs> been hard. And it's going to be part of my 2022 journey. But I think it's, again, the prioritization is still there, but I would say I redefined what success looked like. And then my number four, yes, I do love endurance sports. People tell you to journal, people tell you to meditate, and I laugh and giggle and say, I've tried that, I last two days and I quit. But for me, running has always served to be my my blank canvas of how do I kind of shuffle around the thousand things in my brain and put it on something that that this becomes logical after a period of time. So for me, that's where running serves my space, but that, that only happens if I'm good at one, two, and three. Um, and so for me, how it informs my leadership style to finally get to your question is giving people the space to say, what does success look like? What are you uniquely capable of doing? What are you not? And how do we create more space to have people in? And to be honest, that means our profits go down, but it, it puts people in the right roles. Uh, we learned a lot from 2021 that we took on too much too quick. And now we're, we're covering for that by creating new opportunities for a lot of people to shine in new roles. And so for us, I think we're, Goodell Nets going through the same journey as I am is how do we do less, but do those less things better? And that for me is my 2022, I would say, resolution which is a weird one to say is doing less and most people are trying to do more. But, you know, for me, I think it's, it's how do you, how do you redefine what success looks like in the, in, in the values that you find the most important. Do fewer things better. Absolutely. No, thank you for the authenticity. And I think that that goes back to something that you said earlier, which is people you work with can smell bullshit a mile away. Yeah. And if you're not the same person in the office as you are at home, it'll become readily apparent. And I think it's something that, that all of us struggle with throughout life is that whole priority shift in different parts of your life. And it's okay to reassess where you need to spend time and how you spend it. And, you know, being transparent about it, I think is, says a lot about you as a leader. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. So we are going to shift. Oh, actually, sorry. I take that back. I did want to uh, ask you about some of uh, Goodell Nets uh, diversity, equity, and belonging initiatives before we pivot to the lightning round. Great. You know, for us, I think it's, we're on a similar journey as many are. Um, we are like many learning and trying to figure out how we, how we do this better. Um, for us, we're in a market that is, I would say, uh, traditionally male, traditionally white. And for us, we are trying to create more opportunities for people of color, um, females to get into leadership roles. We've added for us a recruiter to our staff that I would say represents, I would say, more of a diverse target for us in terms of how do we recruit from places outside of just Indeed? How do we create relationships with universities, with high schools? that can usher, I would say, a new group of people into the IT space. Uh, I think, you know, for us, again, we can, going back, there's their selfish motives of creating future talent for the organization, but it's also making sure that our team represents the demographics of the communities that we serve. And so actually our, again, we, we've continued to add more, a ton more female staff to the organization we've added. We have year over year, DEI goals that are very specific and measurable. And we hit those 2021 targets as well. For us, now what we're trying to do is make sure, you know, pay equity is a huge one. Opportunity and promotion equity is big. So, you know, for us, I think where we still have work to do is making sure that the quieter voices 
of I want to do bigger things in the organization are heard and creating space for them. So that's a 2022 target for us that I think has, you know, building out these very thoughtful roadmaps for people because a lot of times, like a lot of things, the, the loudest person in the room gets heard. And so for us, how do we create space for other individuals to, to really rise up into leadership roles? So that's a big 2022 target as our percentages increase. So we've had to build this basic foundation of making sure we're, we're creating more diversity coming into the organization. And I think we've done that and we'll continue to maintain some momentum there. But what do we do next and how are we you know, not doing the same old things? will be the target for 2022 is, is saying, okay, now we've got more diverse talent here. What are we doing to make sure that they're getting the same opportunities as others within the organization? So it's a big focus of what we do. Our HR director has DEI goals that, that repeat in some capacity. So at least she has a DEI goal for every quarter that we have. And for us, we continue to, again, going back to curating better ideas from other people is looking for ideas of how we continue to do that, uh, which is hard to do when you're also growing, when you're also doing other things. So we have to be very thoughtful and pragmatic about that approach. Well, thank you for sharing. I look forward to uh, continuing to hear about your journey and see what we can shamelessly uh, steal from you. So Yes, and I'm going to be stealing your ideas too. So let's... Oh, fair <laughs> enough. It's, it's a give and take. All right. So we're going to get back to Gadelna after the lightning round, but pivoting over, I'm going to ask you four questions. There are no wrong answers, only long answers. So first question is, what would we find on Nick's Car Radio? Ooh, what do we find in Car Radio? I am uh, a big Audible guy, so some sort of Audible book. Second question is, what would we find on your bedside table or e-reader? Ah, I am not an e-reader guy. So on my bedside table is actually a reread of Atomic Habits, looking at better ways to create systems for my life that, uh, again, allow me to, to, to do well and, and create balance. Okay. Third question, and again, no wrong answers, only long answers, and nobody's going to judge you. Cats or dogs? Oh, dogs. Let the record show after two seasons, the vast majority of people say dogs. So Absolutely. Uh, just saying, Absolutely. just saying. Nothing against cat people. But uh, all right. And the last question, this one is a little bit more serious, is what is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Ah, I'll go back to the topic that we discussed earlier, but know what you don't know is acknowledge where you are strong and create a community of people that can augment and make you better and mayors you're not. Thank you. All right. Well, so now, now that we're almost at the end of the podcast, I don't want to bury the lead, but could you tell our listeners a little bit more about GoodellNet, not just, again, the markets that you serve, but kind of your lines of business, where you're looking to grow in 2022, kind of where you're looking for talent, anything that would help people who don't know about you, know about you in the market and potentially as a partner? Absolutely. Well, thank you. So GoodellNet is started off and still is a managed services provider. So what does that mean? We provide day-to-day IT support for businesses anywhere from 10 people to about three or 400. We have people that are kind of exceed that, but I would say just for the sake of simplicity, that's who we serve, providing kind of 24-7 support of keeping systems up and running. I would say that's the foundation because at the end of the day, uh, we have a concept internally called trust and transform, which is, this is the trust part is, can you keep everything up and running? And then the remainder of the organization, the other 40 or 50% is, is our transformation part. It's how do we make businesses run better using technology? So we have everything from data and analytics within our BI department. We do a lot of work around compliance. We do a lot of work around cybersecurity. We do a lot of work around just kind of business consulting, digital, kind of looking at the digital market space and kind of figure out how do you as a organization leverage digital technology to enhance communication, collaboration, and just overall improve your business model and make you stand out in the uh, very competitive market space. So that's the 
I would say the transformation part of what we do. So we've got individuals that are on both sides of the organization supporting each other and kind of playing off of each other. But yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, I just wanted to make sure listeners know that in the show notes, there will be obviously a link to GoodellNet. Uh, there will be a link to B-Labs as well as to Nick's podcast. So with that, Nick, I always sincerely enjoy our conversations and I really appreciate you taking the time to join. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it as well. Great questions. And I wish you a, uh, a wonderful 2022 full of growth and transparency. So thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks, sir.